Good morning, Christ Covenant. Um, I would invite you to take your Bible, your copy of God's Word, if you have it, and turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. My name is Lauren. It's great to be here with you today. And I just want to remind us as you're turning that as a body of believers, as a church family, um, we hold this scripture in the highest regard. We believe that it is divine and inspired and that the words we're going to read today actually come to us to effect change in our lives, just as if Jesus himself were speaking to us. Colossians chapter four, verses two through six. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you're with us last week, uh, we started a sermon series called Table Talk, as Jeremy mentioned earlier. And, and really the goal of this series is to encourage us, to encourage uh, our body of faith here to have intentional outward-facing relationships. We said that Christians have both inward-facing relationships and outward-facing relationships. Inward-facing relationships are those relationships that we have with other believers, that other people that are following Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And so this is an example of an inward-facing relationship. Uh, most of us here are believers. We're here to stir one another along. We're here to worship together. We're here to pursue the Lord together. Now, some of you here are, are not believers and, and you're here visiting and you're here maybe exploring Christianity. And I just want to say, I'm so glad you're here. And I think it's, it's wise of you to go to a Christian service to see, okay, what does it mean for Christians to gather together? What, what is it like when Christians pursue the Lord uh, together? But if we're not careful as Christians, we, we can kind of slide into only having inward-facing relationships, only having meaningful inward-facing relationships. Uh, it, it's kind of easier as you grow in Christ to have inward-facing relationships. Uh, you know, Christians, if they're truly a Christian, now I know a lot of people that call on the name of Christ or have said that they're a believer that are some of the worst people I know and the fruit of God is not in them. So I'm not necessarily talking about that, but if, if you're in Christ, the Bible says that will be known by the fruit that you bear. And some of that fruit, for example, we see in the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And so if you're hanging out with a lot of people that have those kinds of qualities, that's a good person to hang out with. I, I want to hang out with faithful people. I want to hang out with self-controlled people. I want to hang out with good and gentle people. And so it can be very easy to kind of drift into only wanting to have inward-facing relationships. Christians also share a common worldview, right? And so we understand that, for example, that God is, has created what is good and right and, and, and that he is our anchor of truth. We, can, we share a common story. We share common experiences. We share common mission. So if you're not careful, 
here's my point. If you're not careful as a Christian, all of the meaningful relationships in your life can just be with other Christians. And, and I guess the hope of this series is that you would rethink that. We, we want you to have inward-facing friendships. We, we want you to be with other Christians. We need this. We need to gather together. We need to stir one another along uh, toward faith and toward good deeds. But we, we also are called to outward-facing relationships, as we see in the text today, to, to walk with wisdom toward outsiders, to be in relationship with people who aren't of faith, uh, and to pursue those relationships in an intentional way. Some of the words that I love that have been kind of foundational to who we are as a church that we see in the New Testament are the descriptions that it gives of Christians. You are called to be ambassadors. You, ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who goes and represents this a whole nation. You know, an ambassador is someone who goes to another country and represents their home country. That is an, um, that's a massive calling. And what God has said is for my kingdom, I want you to be my ambassadors. I, I wanna, actually in 2 Corinthians it says, God wants to make his appeal to the world through you, through the church. The Bible has said that you are priests. You are priests, right? I, I'm not a priest in the kind of formal religious sense. I'm a priest along with all of you a priest that, that has been commissioned by Christ himself. And what, what does a priest do? A priest stands, it's a mediator between God and man. God has called you to be a priest if you're in Christ, to, to mediate for people, to intercede for people, as we talked about last week. God has said of you that you are the, you, right, you. If you're in here, if you're in Christ today and you came today, if you take the Bible seriously, I want you to hear this. God is saying, you're my ambassador, you're my priest, and then he says, you're my temple, we read in the New Testament. You know what the temple is? The temple is the place where heaven and earth meet. It's a place on earth where heaven and earth come together. And people would go to the temple to try to experience God, to try to be close to God. Well, now God says, now God's plan in Christ is that you, the followers of Christ, would be this living temple that you would scatter out as his temple, this living temple in all these different places where people could actually experience the presence of God through you. That's who you are. Now, some of us, you know, kind of grew up in a 20th century kind of church setting which basically just says, look, just come and consume, right? And, and get Christian products from us. The church would say this, that's, that's your job. Just, just come and kind of get Christian products or come and watch a church service and that's good for your faith. I think what I'm trying to say in this series, what, what the pastors of the church are trying to say in this series is, I don't want you to just be Christian consumers. I want you to actually be Christians, to actually be what God has called you to be, to be ambassadors. Christ, to be priests, to be his temple. And, and I think that this passage is incredibly helpful for us. Really the whole passage, we, we're looking at this passage, verse two through six, uh, over the course of three weeks. Last week, if you were with us, and if you weren't with us, I commend the sermon to you. We looked at really two through four. This week, I want to kind of hone in on verse five, which says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of your time. There's really three kind of big ideas that I want to look at. The first is wisdom. 
Second is outsiders. And then the third is time. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. So let's begin with wisdom. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? What does it mean to be wise? Here's what it means. To be wise means to think as God would think, right? To to, to see the world as God sees the world. That's ultimate wisdom. God has ultimate perspective. God has ultimate knowledge, right? So if you can see the world as God sees the world, then you are wise. Now, to walk in wisdom, right? To walk with wisdom is not just to see the world as God sees the world, but to live as God would live in the world, to think as God would think and to do as God would do. Wisdom is knowing God and then living out that knowledge or following God. So wisdom is knowing God. And again, I want to just stress as we think about outward facing relationships, the importance of inward facing relationships. It's good that you're here. It's good, you know, things that we stress all the time, like our daily rhythm of daily Bible intake, of prayer, of community groups. We all need this. These are the things that shape us, that correct us, that lead us away from an illusional life to an actual life, right? I just want you to hear that. God, there's nothing more real than God. And so his world, his design, his way is most real. Anything that breaks away from that is just a false illusion. And, and really, we live in a world of tons of false illusions where people are following tons of false narratives and, and, and so many false stories. And really, the, the hope of the gospel appeal, the hope of the gospel appeal for us and for others is that we would come back into the true story, that we would come back into a right way of thinking, that God's wisdom, God's perspective, God's knowledge would be true of us. So you, you, you need this, you need community to know God, but we also have to be following God. Dallas Willard said something that we talk about here a lot, It's a great little quote. It says, the Christian life is this. It is living your life as Jesus would live it if he were you. That's what the Christian life is. How would Jesus live your life, right? So the Christian life is not living his life, right? It's not going and being an itinerant preacher in Israel. Somebody said, I want to be like Christ. Well, it doesn't mean move to Israel, go from town to town preaching. No, it means live your life as Jesus would live it. How would Jesus live your life? How would Jesus, you know, interact with the people that you interact with? How would Jesus do your job? How would Jesus take care of your wife? How would Jesus parent your children? How would Jesus talk to your neighbors? How would Jesus live your life? If someone were to follow you around, right, and see how you interact, see what you do, what, what would that cause them to think of Jesus? What, what, what perception of Jesus would they get? If you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and then if somebody said, okay, well, I'm going to follow you around, what would that teach them about Jesus? What in your life would they see is also true of Jesus? And what in your life would they see is false about Jesus? That, don't you see? Don't you see the importance of walking in wisdom? You are called to be his priests. You're called to be his ambassador. You're his temple. You're his representative here on earth. So wisdom is knowing Jesus and then living as Jesus would live. And and I just want you to hear this. The fruit of this 
is that the world around you has changed. Look at this passage from Proverbs 11. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who is wise wins souls. I love that. The, the fruit of the righteous, the, the one who's following Christ, the one who's living in God's narrative and living in God's truth. You know what your life will be? It will be a tree that other people can gain so much from. There'll be so much fruit for other people. It'll give life to people. It'll give hope to people. That's what righteousness brings. He who is wise, he who walks in the way of the Lord, wins souls. It turns souls to Christ. It, it, it turns folks on to Christ. He who is foolish, you could say, turns folks away from Christ. The unrighteousness is a, a, a fruitless tree. It's worthless tree. How about this one from Daniel? It says, those who are wise will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteous like stars forever and ever. Man, I, I want this to be true of my life. I want to be righteous. I want to be wise. I, 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 want, I want Christ to be seen in me. This is the goal of the Christian life, living your life as Jesus would live it if he were you. So that's wisdom. But the second thing I want to talk about is outsiders. Walk in wisdom. Do as God would do as you approach outsiders, as you consider those around you, as you consider those that God is leading you uh, to, to ambassador, to priest, to, to point to Christ. But I want to say in this point that there's different kinds of outsiders, right? So I, I just want to give you a couple of examples here. Uh, the first, I'm calling this guy the, the good Christian guy, okay? Now, there's a, there's a type of person. So when I you know, get this, when I was in college, I was in a fraternity and we would have fraternity rush and, uh, you know, people would give speeches for the pledges or for the guys that were coming to try to get a bid. And they'd always say this. They'd be like, you know, this is Joe. He's from Mobile. He played baseball. He's a good Christian guy. And, you know, he's got a 4.0 in high school or whatever, right? So this good Christian guy, it kind of became known as this misnomer for, I don't know, you know? It didn't really mean that he was following Christ. It just kind of means he's not an atheist. Uh, he's probably been to church a couple of times, but he may really have no devotion for the Lord. He may not be representing the Lord. So you're going to, I have a lot of friends like this, right? Good Christian guys. They're out there, but they don't really know the gospel. They've never been broken in their sin. They've never trusted in Christ for salvation. There may be somebody like this here today. You've been around church activity, but you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never looked, you know the song we just sang, what is our hope in life and death? There's probably some people here today and you think your hope in life is having your job until you're about 65, retiring, and then having a nice 401k. You don't think, man, my hope in life is Jesus. My life is in him. He is my hope. So there's a difference between a follower of Christ and this good Christian guy. But, but that guy's a little different than some other friends. I have, I have some other friends that are, I would just call committed secular people. I mean, they, these are people that they don't want to be labeled a Christian at all. Like they, they've thought about it. They don't agree with what Christians believe about this or this. They, they don't like the label. They, you know, I'm not saying that they're totally averse to the person of Jesus, but they would never want to carry the Christian title. They don't, wouldn't want to talk 
you know, about themselves as a Christ follower. They, they think that Christians are the kind of people that are kind of manipulated by powerful people around. They, they, pe- people that use the Christian message to kind of manipulate the, the masses. That's the committed secular person. I have a lot of friends like this. They're very skeptical of me as a Christian pastor. And then the third is just people of, from a different religion, somebody that maybe grew up Jewish or from an uh, Islamic background or Hindu. I have a lot of friends in this category also. And, and the reason I just give you this, there's other categories out there, but the reason I, I want you to think like this is that as you're being an ambassador for Christ, right, as you're walking in wisdom toward outsiders, there's different ways that you talk to different kinds of people about the Lord. Now, if... if a lot of us grew up in what I'm going to call a 20th century American model. I know it's the 21st century, but I'm calling it a 20th century because it's a dated, it's a dated model. It's a 20th century American model. And the way that you were taught, what the pastor said when you had uh, sermons like this, evangelistic sermons like this, you know what the pastor would say? Look, invite your friends to church, right? All you got to do, invite your friends to church and we'll do all the rest, right? You get them here, We'll evangelize them. We'll do all the rest. And I think what I'm trying to say in this Table Talk series is that method is a very unbiblical understanding of what Christian evangelism actually is. The Great Commission does not say pastors and professional Christians will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. It actually says you, meaning all believers, all followers, you will be my witnesses. It actually says that pastors and preachers in Ephesians 4 are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My main job, and again, I want to be a faithful ambassador too, and, and I'm, I'm definitely, if you, bring, if you do bring friends to church, they're going to hear the gospel, but I, I want you to see your responsibility that God has put on your life. You are the witnesses. You are the ambassadors. You are the priests. You are the temple. And God in his kindness and his providence is sending you out all over the city to be witnesses to him. So again, there's different ways that you approach sharing your faith with these different folks. So the good Christian guy now, maybe him, you, you could invite to church. That actually may be a good tactic. You just say, hey, why don't you start coming to church with me? And, and, and he, you know, has probably been to church before. He probably needs somebody to kind of prod him along, to maybe bring him to a Bible study, to challenge how that his life and his faith don't really line up with one another. The committed secular person, though, or the person from a different religion, they probably don't need you to, the first move with them probably isn't to invite them to church but to begin building a relationship with them. Invite them to dinner in your home. Invite them out to coffee. Start talking about spiritual things with them without the help of uh, the preacher. You start saying it in your words. They need to hear it from you and how it's impacted your life. And then there may come a time where the Lord opens their heart and they could go to a small group Bible study or to a a corporate worship service with you. But I, I guess I'm just trying to kind of push against the urge that I think a lot of Christians have where the only way I can evangelize is invite my friends to church. Different people, we approach different people as we walk in wisdom toward outsiders, we approach different people in different ways. When I was in Birmingham, I um, would get my hair cut at this place. I, I, it wasn't really a barber shop, but I hate to call it a salon. So I, I don't know. 
I don't really know what it was. It was a, it was a place that men go to get their hair cut, but it wasn't really a barbershop. But th this, this gal would cut my hair. It was, it was called the men's chair. It was cool, trust me. But anyway, th this gal would cut my hair and, um, and, you know, I went to her one time and we started talking about some things. And so I, say, I just could tell like her, her heart was open to talk about bigger things than just the weather and the sports and everything else. And so I just said, you know, I'm going to keep going to this gal. So I just kept going to her. Now, she was not a Christian. She had never been to church. She was a very secular person. She, she wasn't, if I would invite her to church, she would have thought that was the weirdest thing that she could ever have done. She didn't need that. What, what she needed is just for somebody to get to know her, to befriend her. To, and, and what I tried to do is just try to help her think about the world in a different way. As the book that I just talked about, I tried to help her see the story that she was living in and the story that God was trying to tell, the story that God was trying to show the world. And you know what else I did? I regularly prayed for her. I prayed for her several times a week. I, I put her on my little card that we talked about last week and I prayed for her. Now, here's what's cool. Then we moved. We moved to Atlanta to start Christ's covenant. I had no idea, you know, I just was gonna leave that relationship. I had no idea what happened. Last summer, she reaches out to me on Facebook. I get a Facebook message from her and she's asking all these questions. And she's saying, you know, what do, what do you think about this? What should I do about this? And how do I think about this? And I'm, I'm thinking, what's happened? So I was like, well, why are you asking me this? And she says, I've become a Christian. And so someone else had come into her life and, you know, just kind of started carrying on where I had, I had no idea who this person was. There was no coordinated plan. Here's the deal. It's just the Lord was doing this. And, and really the invitation of table talk is for you to just enter into what God is doing. Do you have any intentional outward facing relationships in your life? Are you entering into what the Lord is doing to draw people to himself by his word? And as we approach outsiders, I just want to remind you there's different kinds of outsiders. Different people are in different places in their faith journey. And, and as you invite them into really what is a disciple-making relationship, be wise. Where are they in that journey? How do you administer to them where they are? How do you go about making a disciple of this person? Now, I know some of y'all are hearing this. You're hearing this language, you're saying, man, I'm the ambassador, you know? <laughs> I always was taught my job was to like invite my friends and to give and you would do all the work. Now you're telling me that I'm supposed to be all the work. What are you going to do? You know, you may be feeling the weight of this. Man, this is a huge responsibility. Some of you might be kind of getting a little antsy as you think, okay, do I really have to go and, and talk? Here's the thing. If you're feeling a little weightiness right now, that's good. That's really good because you're finally feeling the weight of the responsibility that God has given you. And a future responsibility is incredibly motivating. A future responsibility, when, when you get invited to a big responsibility, that's incredibly motivating. I hate to say this to all my uh, Auburn friends and LSU friends and Georgia friends, but you know why Alabama has the number one recruiting class every year? It's because kids believe if I go there, then one day, it'll open the door to a future responsibility. It'll open the door to the NFL. 
and I'll go to the NFL and I'll make $15 million. And so I'm going to go play for Nick Saban. I just want you to hear this. A future responsibility is incredibly motivating. And if you really believe that you, not just me, not, but you are somebody that God wants to use to advance his kingdom, if you believe that you are somebody that God wants to use to change the eternal destiny of someone's life, that is incredibly motivating. You know, the people, you know, the members of our church that are most passionate about being in the word, about praying, about being in Bible study, about coming to corporate worship. You know who those people are? They're the people that really believe that God is going to use them. It's incredibly motivating. And I just want you to hear this. You are those people. You are those people. God has called you to be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors, to be his priests, to be his temple. So walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And the last thing I want to talk to you about is just the time, the time, really what table talk is. It's a call to use your time wisely in a disciplined way, shrewdly. You only have one little precious life to live. How are you using your time? As I mentioned, we have these little books, the field guide, and, and this is really a guide to create outward-facing, meaningful outward-facing rhythms in your life. And so if you get this, I'll, I'll just give you a quick highlight of it. There's an introduction kind of talking about a lot of the things that we've just been talking about, how you are the ambassadors for the Lord. But here's, there's five things in creating this rhythm. There's five things. First of all is pray. Now, last week I passed out those little cards. There's one right here. And I encourage you all to fill them out and to say, hey, who, who is it in your life that God's calling you to intercede for, to pray for, to, to be a go-between for? And I don't know who that was. I, I, hope as I hope some of you took me up on this. Again, you don't have to use this tool, but I hope there's some regular rhythm of outward-facing prayer in your life. Now, some of y'all, as soon as I said it, you're like, oh, I know, I know who I'm supposed to, I know who, who it is. And you wrote their name down. Now, some of you are like, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. That's okay. Here's what I would say. Keep carrying this around, put it somewhere you see it, and just ask the Lord, who is it, Lord, that you're putting in my way? You know, I, I had never met, I never, I didn't have the thought, I'm going to go find some gal to cut my hair, and she's going to be somebody that I'm going to regularly pray for. But then the Lord just opened that door, and I knew that he was wanting me to walk through it. And so just ask the Lord, who is it that you're putting in my way that I can intercede for in a regular way? The second thing that we're at here in terms of creating the rhythm is just creating a rhythm. And really what we're saying here is, is there any disciplined margin in your life where you think about outward facing relationships? And, and I'm either asking you to, to do something new or to redeem something that you're already doing. So for example, this could be every other Tuesday, I'm going to find one person in my office that I know is, is not a believer and I'm just going to build a friendship. I'm just going to take them to lunch. And again, I'm not saying when you get to the lunch, say, hey, look, I see you ordered the hamburger, but if you were to choke and die on that hamburger, do you know where you'd spend eternity? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying build a relationship and let the Lord open the door. Let the Lord open the door to a gospel conversation. But what is it? 
You know, what rhythm do you have? It could be once a month, our family welcomes one of our neighbors that we know doesn't know the Lord into our home for dinner. Uh, it could be, you know, every Thursday, I take a walk in my neighborhood. And you may do that already. You might already walk every Thursday. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Before you go, say a prayer and say, Lord, redeem this walk. And as I see people, you know, in their yard or also walking, help me to see who, who you're working on and, and help me to redeem this time. So create a rhythm. Number three, build a relationship. As the Lord begins to open those doors, be aware of that. And, and the people that you really see that, hey, he's opening a door here, uh, pursue that, build that relationship. Number four, we're gonna talk about this a lot next week, is share the gospel. And next week I'm gonna talk to you all about just how to talk about your faith in an incredibly natural way that, op that answers the questions that people are really asking. So share the gospel. And then number five, follow up, continue to pursue those relationships. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Literally in the Greek, this is redeem the time or buy the time. Don't waste the time. I'm asking you to create a discipline in your life. And the reason is, is because everything that's important in your life that you excel at, you have a discipline toward it, right? Everybody can say, oh, I want to get in shape, right? You can say, I want to get in shape. And you know what? Occasionally, you might run up a flight of stairs, right? But the people that are really actually in shape are the people that have a program, you know? Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they go to the gym or whatever it is. You know, you, everybody can say, I want to save money. I want to save money, right? And if your plan to save money is at the end of the month, after I've spent everything that I need, I'm just going to take the excess and save it. You know what? I was going to tell you, you'll end up spending all the money. You never will save. You, you know, you have to have a disciplined plan if you want to save money. And the same thing uh, for this. Man, I want to be used by the Lord. I want God to, to use me for his kingdom. I want to obey the Great Commission and to make disciples. Here's the deal. You have to create some rhythm in your life. What is that in yours? What is that? Redeem the time. Redeem the time. You know what I can't do? You know what I can't do? What I'll never be able to do is go back to my high school as a high schooler and influence folks for the Lord. That day, that chapter of my life, it's gone. It's gone. I can't go back. I've graduated high school. I can go back to my high school, but nobody knows me there now. It'd be weird. That, that time is gone. You know what I can't do? I can't go back to college. I can't go back to my 20s, my 20s, my, my whole decade. You know, you only get like eight decades in life. I've already basically burned up four. I'm in the last year of my third decade. And one day I'm going to stand before the Lord. And one day you're going to stand before the Lord. How did you redeem the time that he gave you? Now, look, there's a lot of opportunities I've missed. There's a lot of lack of discipline and even just disobedience that have been true of my life. And I trust in the sovereign grace of Christ. I trust in God's providence that even in, even in my disobedience, he has been at work. It's his work. And so I can, I can rest. I don't, I'm not worried about the past, but, but here's the deal. I do want to look forward and I want to be obedient. 
And I want to be disciplined. I want to redeem the time. Walk in wisdom toward ourselves. Make the best use of your time. We all have this one little precious life to live. What, what rhythm is in your life? You know, as a kid, I went to a church. It was an evangelistic church, and my dad was on staff there, and they would have this thing called Monday night visitation. And people would gather at the church on Monday nights, and we would pray, and then people would scatter out. And it was a little awkward. I mean, people, be, people would just go to random people's houses, and try to start gospel conversations. And, you know, I was a kid. My dad would bring me along. He would go out, but I would always stay back at the church with the little old ladies, you know. It was like in fourth grade. And we would pray for the people. We would pray that God would make them effective. And I was just thinking about that this week. You know, I was a little scrawny fourth grader. I was actually kind of a husky fourth grader, but <laughs> I was a little husky fourth grader. <laughs> praying with this, with these old ladies. And I don't regret that. I'm grateful for that. That was a rhythm in my life that I was a part of something. I believe the Lord used that. You know, the, this, um, this room is just filled with people that God has moved in your life in a really powerful way. Um, and you know what, about once a month, maybe once every other month, I get a call from some little old lady, like in Oklahoma. And because we're part of the North American Mission Board, Christ's covenant has made it onto a prayer card. And she's just sitting there praying for us. And she'll call me and just say, hey, I'm praying for you. How's it going? And the Lord is honoring that. There's a discipline there. There's an intentionality there. All these little things the Lord's just using. I, I, that's what I'm inviting you into. Are you redeeming the time? Is there any outward facing impact? Is there any discipline in your life? That's the appeal. That's the, that's the invitation of table talk. And you know what? Christians, Christians are really good at identifying with people that aren't like them so that those people could know God. And the reason that we're good at that is because that's what Jesus has done for us. Well, what has Jesus done for us? I was, I was reading this morning. I read Hebrews, the first part of Hebrews this morning. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to preach on this. And so I, I read the first part of Hebrews this morning, Hebrews 2 through 4, and you know what it talks about? It says Jesus, who is the founder of the whole world. <laughs> Jesus, who's the founder of everything, identified with us. He was tempted in every way that we've been tempted. He suffered with us so that we could identify with him and so that we could know God. Jesus is identified with us so that we could identify with him so that we could know God. And that's the invitation. Who are you identifying with that doesn't know the Lord so that they can identify with you and know Christ and know the Lord through you? Christians are good at this because this is what Jesus has done for us. And I couldn't think of a better way to end our service today than by hearing from two wonderful young ladies that have identified with Jesus. 
that are saying, look, I, I, I see that Jesus, the founder of the world, has identified with me, and now I want to identify with him. And now they're publicly going to identify with him through believer's baptism. So ladies, I'd like to invite you to come forward at this time as we just hear your story, as we hear what God has been doing and is doing in your life.